Welcome to episode 62 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I am Jane Jezrowie, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and with me, as always. Yeah, that's the cue. The I know, as always. as always. Yeah, we will always be Wayne's World on this thing. <laughs> I know it. Well, we are kind of Wayne's World. Okay. Like, well, we are the the middle-aged embodiment of Wayne's World. Well, should I introduce myself as Garth Algar then? <laughs> You're just showing your knowledge of Wayne's World trivia. Party on, Jane. Party on, Mark. Yeah. I'm Mark, Mark Morell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. And there you are. And you were the Garth today. I'm supposed to be the straight man. I don't know how I'm, I'm failing at that here. Obviously. Wait, who's this? No, Garth is the straight man. Who's the straight man in those two? That is an excellent question. I'd say Garth. Yeah. Yeah, he was the straight man, but well, in our pairing, actually, I'm normally the straight man. You know what? I think it's supposed to be. You're supposed to think that Mike or that Wayne is the or Garth is a straight man, but in actual fact, wait, no, I don't know. I think that's probably part of the charm of Wayne's World. Okay, well, that's an excellent digression because I was adjusting my mic stand while you had those thoughts for a minute there. So I don't really have much to contribute to it, but my who, mic is in the right place now, at least. Who is the straight man on Wayne's World? Inquiring minds want to know. There we go. There's arguments on We're both sides. We're throwing it out there to the audience. But I think, Who's the straight? I think Wayne is the straight man. He's yeah. supposed to be the straight man. Yeah, Garth is supposed to be the straight man, but he has these bizarre no, no, out, no. Of, out of there. Wayne is supposed to be the straight man, but Garth ends up being Oh, I thought it was the opposite of what you just said. Okay, say what your your thought was again. Garth is supposed to be the straight man. Wayne is the crazy host guy mm-hmm. with all the wild comments and stuff. Garth is supposed to be the, the straight man, but he actually isn't because he comes up with these out of the blue weirdo statements and he ends up being very sort of freakish on his own. And funnier than Wayne sometimes. Well, Wayne is more obvious. Like Mike Myers is more obviously funny mm-hmm. and Garth is more... Oh my God, have you said that? Funny? Yeah. So I think they they take the whole idea of the um, the comedy duo yes. a little bit. They're kind of making fun of that too because they're both, they're both pretty strong on their own as characters, but they are playing off who's the straight man. Yep. Who's on first? Yeah. Because in the Abbott and Costello uh, teaming up, I think I am... Costello and your Abbott. I don't know which one's which. Abbott's the straight man. You can remember it because he's tall and thin. I can't remember which one's tall and thin. The I just guy know that, that starts with A. <laughs> tall and thin is the straight man. That I get. Oh, I just wait don't a minute. Know which is which? Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe Abbott is the chubby one. I'm sure that. Oh, wait a minute. Now I can't remember. Okay. So many things people can correct us on later. Yeah. It's fat guy and skinny guy, and fat yeah. guy is the comic. Yeah. So. Any guy is a straight man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which works for you. Me, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I guess. What does that make you? Yeah, you always uh, want to be the straight man. You always want to be the straight man. Okay. Yeah. This okay. is not going in a good direction. Where do, what do you want to talk about? Well, you're adjusting your mic stand, which I you're know. supposed to do before we start. I am, and I thought it was all fine, but it's moving. It wasn't adjusted. It okay. wasn't tightened. Okay. So, what are we talking about? No, I don't remember. 
Well, let's start with the easy stuff. We will acknowledge and do a plug for the DNI index, which is now officially open. Mm-hmm. The it's diverse, officially launched. The diversity and inclusion index that we are doing it in partnership with WIT. So it is the WIT diversity, the, the diversity and inclusion index. The WIT DNI. Yes. Because Women in Trucking Diversity and Inclusion Index is way too many words. And hard to say as shown by me, yeah. as demonstrated. So the program is open for applications as of June 1st. It is available at witindex.org or witindex.com and with or without a hyphen in there. Both of them work. It is not a nomination. It is an application. So unlike Best Fleets, you actually go there and you apply and the contact information that you provide is the contact information that we're going to be using to contact you. Yes, you can nominate yourself. And... Uh, if you are interested in more details on it, we the, we did a webinar with the Women in Trucking Association that if you're a member of WIT, then you can access. And if you listen to our previous podcast, podcast number 61, we talked about it there too. And yes, a variety of other podcasts because this has been in progress for... A year? Well, a year and a half now. Yeah. Because it was January of 2020 that we started talking to them about doing something like this. So it's been a long pandemic of planning. Mm -hmm. Well, at least we got the, got that time to plan. And it has actually been a blessing in disguise. Well, you know, I don't know how much a pandemic is a blessing, but we've certainly gotten a lot of work done. Yes. Because we haven't traveled. We, and because every day is like Groundhog Day, yeah, we've been able to focus on work. So much so that I often wake up and I don't know what day it is. Yeah, it's a day to go to work. Or a day to stay in bed. Those are the two days. <laughs> am I getting out of bed or not? Or, yeah, what time am I getting out of bed? Do I have to rush up now and do stuff? Or can I relax for a bit? Yeah, can I yes. wait until two? Well, and that's a good the kind of thing to reflect on a little bit as we're starting to see the end in sight. Uh, things are starting to open back up again. Mm-hmm. And when this podcast hits the street, one of our, uh, one of the events that we typically go to would be uh, happening. That's the TCA safety conference, which mm-hmm. is uh, happening next week. We are often attend that this year. We're not because the uh, border still closed. So their normal contingent of Canadians yeah. uh, is uh, decimated. Uh, so they're doing I think it. There's one Canadian yeah. going one brave alone. Yes. So go Dirk. Yes. D- Dirk Kupar is holding the whole country sort of <laughs> in a, his pocket there. He's, he's the representative a, for all yeah. of us. He's the flag if he wins, the yeah. If he wins, he gets to go on the podium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he wins the safety camp, uh, safety so, conference to so travel safely, Dirk. Yes. And bring us back lots of stories of what yeah. it's like to interact with other human adults that just, don't live in your house. Just stories. <laughs> yes, just bring us That's back it. stories. That's all we want. Yeah. Yes. So it is nice to see things starting to open up, starting to get back again, and uh, starting to do some planning for the fall and some other events. It's going to be very exciting and very weird to go mm-hmm. back and interact with other people. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking forward to it. So, yes, throughout that time, we have uh, finished the, the DNI index prep and got that launched, and we are very eager to see what happens. We've Got some applications in there now, and uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting ride on mm-hmm. this one. And that's about all I think we can say since we spent much of the last podcast talking about it. Yes. 
So, what else do we want to talk about? Well, uh, I'm glad you're answering that because you mentioned three things and then I'm, I don't remember. Okay. So I only remember well, the last good. one. Yeah. That's good. It'll be fresh. Oh, I remember it is why drivers don't like training. Mm. Yes. Well, this is uh, a couple of stories that I'm working on or a series, I guess, LinkedIn articles. I've done two of them and I've got a third one that I'm going to be coming out with in a couple of weeks. It is kind of myths related to drivers. So the first one was that old, what if we train our drivers and they leave? And man, I hate that one with the passion. Here's another one. Oh, can we talk about all the, the myths that we Well, that one know? I had a story about that I written years ago and I reread it and I was like, yeah, this one still resonates and people still say this. What if they, what if we train them and they leave, leave, you know? So I had like an article in quotes. I'm, I have to do air quotes around that because it was really just a rant committed to words, you know, committed to the page, uh, about why I think that's a dumb thing and a dumb way to look at things. Uh, so I started my series with that and then, uh, wrote another one last week, sort of a follow-up, I guess two weeks ago about why, um, why is it, talking more broadly about the myths related to drivers and how dangerous they can be or how damaging they can be over time. And this one was about the myth that drivers don't want training. This mm-hmm. conversation that people have about sort of a base assumption that drivers don't want training. So you're going to have to sort of cajole them into doing it somehow. And I've always thought that that was wrong. And year after year in the best fleets program, we see overwhelming support for training and professional development. Cause we ask them specifically, how yeah. much do you value yeah, additional do you want ongoing yeah. training? And we've never had less, less than 90% agree with that statement that it's important and that they want more of it. So we know that they want more of it. So it's interesting to me that even after like a decade plus of us asking that question and getting the same answers, there's still a perception in the industry that drivers don't want training. And really, I think that just comes down to the fact that drivers don't want bad training and don't (laughs) want their time wasted. And for years, for decades, they've mostly just had their time wasted with bad training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't want to drag their butt into the terminal on the weekend after a long week to just sit there and listen to somebody drone on and and not get slides. paid and not get paid for it and get yeah. paid with a sandwich. Who wants to go for a meeting That's and an not insult. get paid for it? I certainly yeah. don't. Yeah. And some of them are a couple hours drive away from the terminal, which is normally fine. If you're just drive in there, pick up your truck and go for the week. That's not a big deal. But if you got to drive back in on Saturday, yeah, of course they don't want to do that. Who does? Well, and the solutions that people have offered over the years to the, you know, drivers don't want training has been very missing the mark, I think. And not necessarily that our training is the be all and end all and the only thing you ever need to do, but you have to think of it in terms of what people don't like about training. Mm -hmm. What training? Um, Is it... And then the solution is we give them four and a half minutes of training and then they'll do it. Yeah, because they can't pay attention for extended periods. Really? No, drivers what can't pay attention. Day? No, no, no. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so. so it's the it's missing the mark, like you say. It's it's the wrong solution to the problem. And training comes in all different shapes and sizes. It's not like mm-hmm. what there's only one kind of training that you can do. There's only one kind of intervention that you can do. There's all kinds of them. And in in fact, the intervention should match the behavior 
or what you Absolutely. want the outcome to be. So if you want someone to do something with their hands, then don't give them don't give them a piece of paper necessarily. Don't give them theory. Yeah. Give them, you know, get them to practice doing it in front of you and then give them feedback and then get them to correct themselves and do it again until they do it right. That is not necessarily something that's going to be solved when with online training or distance learning. That's something that you want to do with the person right there. Well, that also ties back to the other thing that drivers don't want, which is they don't want their time wasted with stuff they don't need. Like don't force them to go through training that isn't covering a topic they have a gap in. Which is why we do the whole pretest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you can test out, then test out. Yeah. Just write the test for 20 minutes and you're done. You don't Demonstrate know. that you know it and then move on to something that you do need help with. Or even get everybody to go through certain tests so you know who knows it. Like have yeah. an evaluation oh, of absolutely. what people know. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a lot. That's a, I think that's a big job is to basically do an evaluation of what people know, but you do it for their skills. You always give people a driving test. Mm -hmm. Well, give them a knowledge test. But it also, it gives you so much information that you can work with later to plan. Like, you know, mm -hmm. specifically where to focus efforts after that, rather than everybody goes through this same course. Well, no, these five people go through this whole course. These 20 people go through little bits of it. And these other group of people don't need to do anything. Again, if you're a beginner, you're going to need everything. If you've been on the job for 10 years and are kind of rusty and, I don't know, sleeper birth, then you only have to do that part. Yep. If you have been around for 40 years, just do a test. Well, there's another part of that that I see as well being very useful. That is give them the whole thing, but let them set their own pace in it. Because sometimes we've seen this and I think talked about it a few times. Sometimes they're going through it and they realize that they have gaps. They may think they know it and they may know the basics and they may even know enough to sort of get through a test. But as they're going through the content, they may realize there's pieces that they've missed and they can fill in some of those gaps. But it works a lot better if they can set the pace for themselves. If they can say, oh yeah, they sort of scan the page and listen to it. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that and I move on. Oh, this thing is new. I didn't realize that. And they spend more time with that. But allowing them to have that control over it really makes a big difference. And I have never liked um, courses. Navigation lockdown. Navigation lockdown where you're forced to listen to everything, sit on that page until the voiceover is finished and then click every single link. And like, you don't always need that. And I can read that page faster than that voiceover person is speaking. You know, we have to have the voiceover at a certain pace. If we had the voiceover super fast, it wouldn't work at all. But sometimes it's too slow. So I would much prefer to be able to scan it and say, yeah, I know what this is about. And okay, then you go and do a checkpoint later. And if you're dismal, you go back and look at it then, right? You can go back and forth as much as you want. And that's a reason that we build that navigation that way is to give people that flexibility to control their destiny. Mm -hmm. So if you actually provide people with training that is relevant to what they need and allow them to determine to have a little bit of self-regulation as to what they spend their time on, they're not really against it. They're generally pretty much in favor of that kind of training. I wonder if anybody actually asks them what they want to know about. <laughs> that uh, That's a good one, you know. And I should have thrown that into my 
into my article when I wrote it because I, I normally do talk a lot about collaboration when it comes to making these decisions. It's finding out what people want, do a survey to see what the interests are, where the gaps are, all of that. Well, it could be a little bit of a personal development program. Like what do you, you know, what other things are you interested in? What do you want to practice? What do you want to know more about? And you get, um, you know, some sort of credit in some internal program for doing things above and beyond. And that kind of goes back to what I think is, I really have a hard time with is this focus training every single month. (laughs) Yeah. I am not a fan. I think having some sort of action every single month Mm -hmm. is a good idea. Yeah. We've talked about that in the past, what the ideal intervention that is a combination of different things. It may be a monthly activity, but it's something a little different every month so that you're mixing it up. Yeah. But giving, you know, if I had 20 minutes or half an hour or even 10 minutes of training to do every month, I don't know. You wouldn't apply it. You might go through it and say, oh, that's kind of interesting, but you wouldn't have a chance to necessarily apply it unless you had that opportunity to discuss it, have some sort of group follow up. Process it. Yeah. Process it, incorporate it into your job, all of that stuff. That's where you really get the meaningful intervention. And again, Drivers are not against any of that stuff. I've never seen any feedback from drivers that they're against it. I've only seen feedback from safety managers, assuming that drivers don't want it because drivers push back against stuff that have has or been dumped on them before. One driver has. One vocal The mouthy driver, driver yeah. has, yeah. The person who doesn't want to do it and just is speaking for everybody else, but not really. And actually one of the things that we've seen is sometimes it's not that that driver's against training. That driver's afraid of looking stupid. Mm-hmm. If this new training program is rolled out, so they badmouth it and they never say, I'm afraid of looking stupid. They say, well, you know, I don't think we really need this. We've been driving for years. You know, they're not going to tell us. Some computer is not going to tell me how to do an inspection. I think it's funny all of the different ways that people can say I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. No one ever mm-hmm. says, well, I say it, but I'm weird. Um, but people do not come out and say, oh, you know, that terrified. I do not want to do that. I'm deathly afraid that I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> Unless you say something like, I want you to go on stage. Yep. Then you'll say, no, no, no. I'm deathly afraid of that. Yeah, oh, I can't do that. That's okay the thing that they won't do because you're exposed. Everything else, you, you, and it's one of those things that is, you know, a lot of people are like that and it's an okay thing to be afraid well, also, of. Also, it's not considered part of their job. Like anything that is considered in any broad way part of the job people are not going to say they're afraid of it or they're afraid of looking dumb or they're they're also not going to say i don't really understand this yeah most people are not going to step up and say i don't really know how this is supposed to work or you know i've been driving for 20 years but i never really understood this nobody's going to say that what they say instead is we don't need that i already know it yeah I already know all that. Mm-hmm. Don't insult me by asking me to prove it. <laughs> I'll just go down the road to some other or place. They, or they have a, a huge, you know, story or joke or something making fun of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And uh, I had a conversation with someone about uh, a sexual harassment course and uh, someone laughing at it or saying mm-hmm. or doing the whole thing of... Um, you know, I guess I can't touch you. I guess I can't do that. Or I guess I can't do this. And you have to be politically correct. And you're like, oh my God, you know, it's just trying to build awareness. Yeah. It really is. Not 
not trying to change your behavior, but you should be aware of this. Yeah. You know, until Truckers Against Trafficking, nobody was aware of all of these teenage girls who were being basically sold to, you know, grown men. And when you put it like that, instead of calling them lot lizards, then, you know, all of a sudden everybody goes, ooh, well, that took education. And that's what every course that we're putting out and what I think the idea that safety managers do is you're just trying to build some awareness. Yeah, get people thinking about things in a different way. Yeah, and in that, to try and really achieve that, you have to have a little bit of Mm buy-in. And and part of the hard work of training is getting that buy-in before you, you know, say, okay, and here's your content. Well, and that's also part of the rollout. And that's why we have a dedicated webinar just about how to roll it out along with documentation and things is, yeah, you got to talk to these people and explain why you're doing it, address their concerns, make sure they actually have access, that they're not going to be sort of left out in the cold, that they understand the value that you see in it and that they are having a say in the plan. And that will build consensus and build buy-in way more effectively than anything else. You can't just dump it on them. Well, you also have to respond appropriately. So when people are, are reluctant to do something new or do something that might expose them, then your response to them can't be, you know, I don't care. Do it anyway. Yeah. You have to have, you have to have a little bit of empathy. And it also can't be that, I'm not sure exactly the right word, but it's almost like a confrontational or a dismissive while well, drivers, you know, you know what they're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't be treating drivers like this sort of well, they're lower people. life form. They're people. And, and one of the things that drives me nuts is that they talk about their staff and their drivers, like the drivers aren't their staff Yeah, and, or their driver or just drivers instead of, you know, giving, oh, I guess I'm going to the back to the name, not a number. But people do that. And I've actually had to, you know, you can, how you write about, like when we're creating the course material, like I have to be really careful about how you talk about drivers. And what I try to do is make them people mm-hmm. as much as possible because they are people. And if you start thinking of them as like a herd of cattle that are all going to be like this and they're all going to behave like this and they're all going to go to the next thing and to the next thing, like some kind of weird Monty Python cartoon. Uh, It's not going to, that's not going to work. Or some, yeah, distinct species that's unknowable in their motivations. (laughs) No, they're not. They're not that complicated. They're individuals and all individuals respond to incentives. They respond to stimuli in different ways. So if they're having a reaction to something, there's a reason for that. Right. And it might be conditioned by their life experience and their background and their or personal what's beliefs going on or whatever. With them right then. But it's going to be a response to something that's happening. And if you understand that, you can work with it. And yeah, sometimes they get really agitated. I was I was reading through my some of my old LinkedIn articles and came across the one where I had asked if anybody sees any real reason for a driver window. And I just, that one just had a flood of comments. And like, there's people that were advocating for the driver window and it was really about, yeah, drivers come in, they can be really noisy and they're belligerent and you know, they come, uh, they come in, they're always so angry and you've got to get the uh, dispatch people a head start to run away from them. And I'm like, oh my God. And you wonder why you have a hundred percent turnover and nobody wants to work in this industry. 
is ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that is, <laughs> I think it is very uh, telling what, you know, what the welcome is for a driver mm-hmm. when they, when they approach the building that they supposedly. That they pay work, for. And they work in, like, yeah. you know, they're part of the club. They're part of the, you know, the group of people who are all supposed to be in that in that space. And if you don't let them be part of that space, then they are going to be, they're going to be mentally removed from it as well. Yeah. Well, I just go back to when we were consultants and yeah, we would often not be in the office because we're on client sites doing work, traveling different places. Sometimes we work remotely, we work from home. It's uncommon for very many consultants to be in the office because you want them on site doing billable work. But when they come back to the office, they're not locked out. No, they don't have to stand in reception <laughs> and wait for somebody to come to the door or come to a window or a counter and answer let their them question. In. Well, yeah, you know, we have an open door policy. Somebody will let you in and you can go in. You know, that's just ridiculous. If your work is paying for that facility, you should be allowed in that facility. Yeah. Simple. I think a lot of companies have realized that, have come further than that yeah um there's been a lot i you know through best fleets we hear a lot about redesign Mm -hmm. and so the terminal buildings get redesigned the office space gets redesigned and really the only locked areas are the things that have you know valuable like hr information like stuff that needs to be locked away no matter what you are yeah it's locked for everybody yeah as long as it's locked for everybody sure then fine yeah finance server rooms sure there's stuff that needs to be secured that's very different yeah but locking some of your staff out just because they're a pain yeah or that they're too noisy or that you know they might smell bad well, or fix that they or they may be upset yeah because i think that's part God of the issue ask why they're upset yeah we don't want to deal with the issue you just want to deal or you just want to make sure that it's away from you and that is so you really have to think about what your motivation is for keeping another human being away from you. Like, yeah. don't think it about as, oh, we've got, you know, drivers can come to the window, but what you're making that window is a block between you and then other human being. Why are you doing that? And really be honest with yourself. Like, why are you, because you don't want to, de- maybe you do want to have time before you actually have to deal with it. I think there's a better solution to that. If you need time to psych yourself up before you actually speak to another human being about what's bothering about them about their workplace. Well, not just another human being, your coworker. Yeah. Perhaps the, you know, the person who actually reports to you. Ooh, so one of yeah. your team members. Imagine. <laughs> I think nasty. we'd lose some people if we were like, no, well, actually we do kind of because we're remote. So there is a yeah. little bit of a, there's a little bit of a, wall but it's really just you know yeah but everybody has the same wall exactly so it's equitable yeah so, so yes i think so my that subject was, was about what drivers driver myths about what they want and don't want right i don't think drivers want to be treated differently i think that is you know looking back at the training do you make everybody do training every month why do you <laughs> make, make your, your drivers staff do that? Yeah. yeah. And what training do you make them do? Like maybe they, uh, you know what? Dispatchers could probably use some training. Yeah. To on as well. Uh, yeah. Well, on, you know, how to uh, communication skills or interviewing skills or, you know, those kind of interpersonal skills that will make them do a better job with the drivers that they work with. They're probably not getting monthly reminders on, you know, don't yell at people, 
you know, always try and use their name and not their truck number. <laughs> you know, always remember to let them in through the door. <laughs> but check if they smell bad first. Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to when people start saying that, oh, we get drivers to do, you know, 15 minutes of training every month on something. I'd be like, I, I'd love to say, do you make the rest of, you know, does the exact do that too? <laughs> You know, how no. many other members of staff are actually doing training every single month that you just throw at them because you think that's going to cover you when you get sued in court? Yeah. I don't. And it's never a good defense. It's always flimsy that people see through immediately. Like it's not a good defense for court. It doesn't say. No, that. it doesn't. It just, I mean, it just means that you were perfunctory. Yeah. And the whole, the idea behind why you do that is... You know, people can see through that. Yeah. You can see. If you do less of it and do more with it afterwards, mm -hmm. it's way better defense. Yeah. You do a bunch of training every month, but what did you do with the results? Did you analyze them? Did you act on any of these things? Did you see pass fail? Yeah. Correct to 100? Yeah. <laughs> three true or false questions. Yes. We got correct to 100, but it's three true or false questions. Yeah. Oh, we're in a mood this we Friday afternoon. We are. It is. Yeah. We are lovely. We're ready uh, to unleash. Wow. <laughs> and it's the weekend. And yesterday was Monday, man. It's Friday now, but it does feel like yesterday was Monday. Uh, yeah. So anyway, those are some articles I'm working on. The last part of it is going to be about whether drivers can be trusted. This myth that drivers can't be trusted to do the training. And that's sort of what we were talking about before with locking down navigation and forcing them to do everything. Do you want to talk about my article? That is not published yet? Yes. And we've got <laughs> Jane's article to talk about. Okay. For that any, joke will become clear in a moment. Yes, because my article is called Yes And. And so that's what Mark was. It was originally called Yes And. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called now. I think it's... Uh, we've given it a more Yeah, it has a better name. name. So... What it came out of is, okay, so yes and comes from improv comedy. So if you know anything about doing like sketch improv, like you would go to Second City to see or, you know, to a comedy club and people are just putting on these impromptu plays based on suggestions from the audience, that's improv. And improv is, is hard to do. And it's hard to do, like it's hard to get on stage for one, but then you basically have to make up a story on the spot with another person without any prior communication between the two or three of you and do a sketch that is relatively amusing to people, which sometimes doesn't work. But if you watch Saturday Night Live, all of these people come from sketch comedy. Um, second, the SCTV, if you remember that from the 80s, that was all Second City sketch comedy, like improv and it's it's can be really hit or miss. It can be awful and but awful in a kind of a good way. But when it works, it's like brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And the people who are good at it are are to be admired. And one of the things that I've learned from doing it, because I was a big theater nerd when I was a kid and I did a lot of improv with some talented people that I was not up to their standards, but one of the things that you have to do is let go and trust people. Like you have to, you have to go with whatever is getting thrown at you. And the way that you do that is always agree with the premise 
of the improv. So if you say the situation is a car dealership and you are a clown, go. So you and another person are at this car dealership and the clown has to, and I'm just pulling this out of my hat, uh, has to give a line. And so you say a line and then the other person has to say a line back that go that progresses that improv sketch and makes sense. And you cannot disagree with the entire, well, you can't, you can't say, nope, going to start over. No, I don't like that one. You can't reject the no, premise. You You've got to work on it. You've got to build on it. You always have to say, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with that and I'm going to move it forward. And I think one of the things that, uh, the reason that I wrote it is because Mark is terrible at yes and, <laughs> he's always no but, because he's usually pointing out all of the reasons that things can't happen. He doesn't necessarily disagree. I'm just talking to you about you in the third person here, Hunt. So He is terrible for that. You are, yeah. Um, but he'll say no. He'll just say no. I'll have an idea because ideas come out of my head all the time and he'll be like, no, no. But he doesn't actually disagree. He, he, he's just processing the idea. But it drives me crazy because to me, you say no, you don't agree with the idea. And I thought it was a good idea because that's why I said Yeah, it. and I've realized after talking to you about it that what I'm doing is I'm accepting the premise and I'm kind of saying your specific implementation of that premise may not work. And I've already moved on to how can it or what else can we do or where do we go from there? But because I my should know mind that is moving now. very quickly, it just comes out as no. And then a minute later, how about this other thing? <laughs> like, wait, I just said that. Yeah. So the way that what I'm thinking is that people do that. People will do that automatic no. Because they're afraid or because they think it isn't going to work or because they think that it's an idea that doesn't come, like they're going to lose stature. There's a million reasons that people say no. Because and, it, and what you did in that story that really I thought was a brilliant connection is you brought that back to meetings and meeting effectiveness, whether it's business meetings inside a company or committee meetings or across the industry, different groups getting together, that when that happens, there's a huge effect of people doing that sort of no. But at the same time, if the attitude is shifted to be more of a, yeah, how can we make this happen? Where can we go with it? It totally changes the outcome and you can end up with some really creative and some very much more effective outcomes from those meetings even when you disagree with the premise so say i have an idea about i don't know creating a new truck that drives itself <laughs> um so and i say this you know and everybody else in that group thinks it's a crazy idea and they'll say no that's crazy and a lot of people do that they say mm -hmm. no it's crazy so the idea is don't say no just, you can just say it's crazy. That's not a no. And then say, okay, well, how, what do you, you know, how do you see that working? Or like asking a question about what that idea might mean instead of being incredibly negative and like chopping off the conversation. No, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. No, we can't do it. We don't have the budget. We don't have this. We don't get it. Just can't be done. Can't be done. Instead of doing that, entertain the idea for five minutes. And that's really what you're doing is that you're creating a space in your brain where that idea can be reality for five minutes. And that's what you do in improv. 
because you're the clown at the car dealership and in your brain, that's your world. What happens next? And when you do that and you get kind of get the, you know, get all practice, well, not practice, but when you get going with it, people start opening up and they start having their own ideas that start being much, much better ideas and not the same old, same old that is all very safe and we've just done it a hundred times and why don't we do a webinar about this or why don't we do this? And it's all like, let's so, do an ad with a picture of a truck. In yeah. It. And it's just boring. Like let's do something new. And if you don't entertain anything that seems impossible to do, then nothing will happen. Well, what's interesting about that idea is it may not even be five minutes. It might be a minute and a half. And your point in the article was that explore it. It might be a failure, but okay, you try it. And then much like in improv, Sometimes they don't work. You figure that out and you move on. But you've at least given it that try because every once in a while, and it might be once every 10 times or every 20 times, that idea is going to be genius. And you opened up your article with some examples of improv that has made it into movies that ends up being some of the most iconic lines from some of these movies were things that were just improvised on the spot. And that's the the breakthrough that you can have if you allow yourself to try and do something a little bit different for a minute or two minutes or five minutes. And maybe it's a breakthrough. Maybe it isn't. But even when it isn't, you're doing it together. There's another part that you came up with is that it builds trust. When you all fail together, everybody contributes to it. Then you've got a stronger team as a result of it. And it also allows you to fail and it allows other people to see that it's okay. It's okay to take a risk. So if If you have an idea and someone who is perceived as senior says, no, that won't work, then no one else is going to, or people are like, okay, I'm not going to try an idea because I'm just going to be told no, and I'm going to be, you know, I don't want to be in that situation. So they don't say anything. They just wait for the usual suspects to just have the ideas, whether they're good or not. But once you, people all have ideas though. So once you start allowing those ideas to come up, then, but it takes a while. Like it, you know, people have to feel like they're not risking their, um, you know, their stature, especially when it's not, when they're lower at a lower level or they're new or they're just, you know, they just don't, that's not how they roll. But that also alludes to one of the other points that's important about improv is nobody's more important on stage. No, there's no star on stage. Everybody is equal. The improv succeeds when everybody contributes to it and has a success with it. And a great idea can come from the most junior person. Well, in Harry Met Sally, the uh, most famous line from that movie, which is I'll have what she's having. And I'm not going to explain it. If you don't know it, you have to go watch the movie. But Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan are in and Billy Crystal is, you know, fabulous improv not totally sure about Meg Ryan's background in improv, but Billy Crystal for sure. Stand-up comedians, they're like they're mm-hmm. amazing in this. Um, but that line comes from an extra. Yeah, it was the director's mother. Yeah, it was an extra who just happened. Oh, I don't, I don't even know how it happened, but sort of threw it out there. Yeah, and you're not going to get that brilliance right off the bat. You have to wait till people are comfortable and laughing and enjoying themselves and you know, feeling less at risk. Like when everybody's feeling worried about their stature, no one's going to, everybody's going to be protecting themselves. You want everybody to just be like loose and laughing and 
being able to laugh at situations rather than people. So it's really hard to um, explain how to create that, but it does start with, I can entertain your idea for a minute. Yeah, it's also important in those situations for the most senior person to resist the urge to speak up and to say things. And, and to say no. <laughs> or we'll say anything. Yeah. Because even if they're saying yes, it then it becomes, everybody puts their ideas out, but it really is just looking to that one person to see what they think. You know, yeah, everybody goes around approval. the room, but only one person's opinion matters. And that gets you nowhere. You might as well not have anybody in it. So that most senior person or group of most senior people need to make a concerted effort to just shut up and just make sure that they're facilitating everybody else getting a chance to throw their ideas out there and discussing it. And maybe if nobody has any ideas, then what you do is you put them into groups and say, okay, let's come up with some ideas. Well, if nobody has ideas, which is probably what's going to happen the first few times, then you step back and say, why isn't anybody offering any ideas? You know, do we have no creative people here? Do we have a culture that has already squashed this? So we need to work on rebuilding that or is there something else going on? Yes, but you can, I, I agree with that statement and that is something that you should do, but don't stop the meeting and go off and do that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying yeah. is that you can try other, other types of um, problem solving. So it depends on what the meeting's about, right? And there's the teacher coming out right there. Break them into groups. Give hey, them each a flip chart to work with. Small groups and flip charts work yep. because you're in a smaller group, so you're not the risk is lower. You have, if you have flip chart paper or a piece of paper or something like that, you're expected to have a deliverable. Mm -hmm. So risk is lower. Expectations are higher. As soon so, as you hand somebody a marker, they feel obligated to write something down at some yeah, point. And if you make the marker smelly, then <laughs> it's... They're incented to take the cap yeah. off. But people, I've seen it happen. Like no one's saying anything in a large group. You break them up, you give them flip chart paper, and all of a sudden they're talking. They may take a while to get started. So, you know, don't give them five minutes if you've never done it. Uh, give them, you know, do it. I would do it and have coffee there or have like whatever your break stuff is. Like this is when we can all get back into a room. Doing it virtually is a completely different thing. So I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but you know, give them food, give them, give them a coot, like have a space for them. And then people will start kind of getting their loosening up. And actually with improv, you, there's a whole bunch of games that you play and they're really just warm up exercises that are, and one of the ones that I know is just clapping at people. So you do this, okay, I'm going to do the noise. And, but that's just like a clap, but you clap and point at the same time. So you're in a circle, you clap and point at someone in the circle, and that person has to basically catch the clap and then, and then clap at somebody else. So you just, and then you go faster and faster and faster. And what it does is it stops you thinking with your logical mind and start going by instinct, which is where great ideas come from is instinctive. How does one catch a clap? Well, you don't really catch it. And let's be clear. We don't want you to catch the clap. <laughs> okay. That's so a if different I, group. So if we're in a circle and I, and I basically point at you and, okay. and do a clap, like with my hand, yeah. like I can do like just clap, but point at you at yeah. the same time. You're making a motion with your hands. that's sort of gesturing towards me. Yeah. The clap happens as part of that. Right. And then, okay. so 
it's on you and you've okay, done it back to me. So how, but how does one catch that? Oh, you don't catch it really. Okay. You just, you basically, you have to maintain eye contact with everybody in the circle at all times. Like you have to be, you have to be aware of your surroundings, like driving, right? You have to be aware of your surroundings all the time because if five people are in the group, you don't know who's going to be clapped at and who's going to. So it's not just one clap at a time? It is, but it goes fast. Okay. So you start off slow. So I'm going to clap at you. You're going to clap at person C. That person is going to clap at person D. Then it's going to come back to me. And then I might go to person D. And so if you try mm. this at home, folks, you'll see that as you go faster, it gets harder. It's mm. like any simple game, the faster you go. But it does get you out of your head. Mm. That's what's important about improv games. And that's just a simple one. There's tons of them um, that are often physical as well because you got to get in your body and you stop stop with the you know thinking about why you can't do things and mm. you start thinking i just got to clap i just got to find so i got i got to keep an eye out for the clap i got it i got to give it to somebody else okay i got now i got to give this one to someone else now i got to do that and then i got it and then and you and you can't you can't worry about how you look you can't <laughs> Because you're just trying to get the claps down and it's it's difficult. Or it's challenging, it's fun. And it's the easiest thing. You think that, oh, I can't do any improv or anything like that. Well, you can clap at someone. Mm. You can do that. And so when you do a class in some sort of theater, that's what they often do is get you to do a really, really simple game that anybody can do without looking, like without feeling self-conscious. I feel like our outro music should be just a bunch of audience audience applause. Yeah. yeah well, I, I wish I could ex- describe what I'm doing because it's not really a clap. It's more like a one hand sliding across, sliding the across the other. Yeah. And in the, the person. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I need to do some video. Maybe. Well, it occurs to me that you've basically just given all our listeners homework. So, I think that is kind of a good time to actually wrap it up because now you've given everybody an assignment, get out there and do it. And for your our next, next episode, we will be taking up those assignments. Hey, your next, uh, your next meeting. Well, you can't do it virtually. It has to be done in person. And unfortunately, yeah. I don't know any virtual improv games. Yeah. So anybody that is getting back into in-person events, there's your homework. Go give that a try and see what happens in your next group meeting. <laughs> Well, just don't come to one of ours because that'll probably be featured. Anyway, that is a good place to stop. So have a great day, everybody. Bye.